the book of Genesis, chapter 15, and I don't expect a lot of you have Bibles with you. If you do, you can follow along. If not, you're just going to have to trust me tonight. But Genesis chapter 15, we've been studying through Genesis, and we ended this last week in chapter 15. We'll pick up chapter 16 next decade. Can't say that very many more times, but want to use that. But in Genesis 15, something is said that I want to make note of. In verse 1 of Genesis chapter 15, after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram, that's Abraham, but his name has not yet been changed, came to Abram in a vision saying, do not fear, Abram, I am a shield to you and your exceeding great reward. He says do not fear because Abram has just come out of war, literally off of a rescue mission, rescuing his nephew Lot after a great war that had happened, a war of kings, and so He comes back from that, and the first thing God says to Abram is, do not be afraid. And we've been looking at this and thinking about the fact that Abram must still be trembling, perhaps from the stress, perhaps from the fatigue of the battle, of of the mission of trying to go get his nephew out of there. But the word of the Lord comes to him in a vision, promising him protection and a, a very personal prize. But even as he listens to the Lord and even as he hears these words of of comfort, he still asks what so many of us ask so often, and that is, how? How is what you're telling me going to happen? And the Lord responds. In fact, what God does here is he plunges Abram into a prophecy that is at the same time powerful and portentous. There's a sense of dread here. In verse 12 of Genesis 15, now when the sun was going down, a deep deep sleep fell upon Abram, and behold, terror and great darkness fell upon him. And God said to Abram, know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs, where they will be enslaved and oppressed 400 years. Well, if you know your history, you know that happened. But I will also judge the nation whom they will serve, and afterward they will come out with many possessions. Now here's the key. Listen to this. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You will be buried at a good old age. Something great and terrible, something far bigger than you or your life, Abram, is about to happen, is coming. But your life will end in peace. Peace. It's the first time we see the word peace in the Bible. Genesis chapter 15, verse 15. Your life will end in shalom, is the Hebrew word. Probably familiar to all of you, but Western thinking thinks of peace in a different way than Eastern thinking, and especially than Jewish or Hebraic thinking. The Western mind defines peace as the absence of war or conflict. That's peace. The Hebraic mind points not to an absence, but to a presence. The presence of something that is filling. In fact, the word shalom in the Hebrew means complexity in completeness. It's when all the moving parts come together and align. The same word shalom is used in unique ways throughout the Bible. When we see it translated peace, we assume that's You know, that's the translation of shalom always. Not always. Sometimes shalom is used to describe something else, like a perfectly round stone that doesn't have any fissures or holes in it would be called shalom. 
or even a stone wall that's been constructed that doesn't have cracks in it or, or missing bricks, missing stones, that would be called shalom. Because again, to the Jewish mind, peace for a person is a complete contentment of mind and body and spirit. Think about it. There are a lot of moving parts in our lives. There's a lot of complexity, a lot of trying to just get things together. And what's funny to me, ironic really, is that on Christmas Eve, we tend to feel that pretty heavily. Trying to get everything put together because the family's coming in and the presents have to be wrapped and the schedule has to be kept and we all just wait for the long winter's nap. We look forward to that time, man, when it just dials down. You know, those days after the holidays, after Christmas is, is done. Oh, we love Christmas, but we're waiting for that alignment, for the moving parts to stop moving and for everything to come together and be whole. And that is the Jewish mindset of shalom, of peace. Isaiah chapter 26, verse 3 says, The steadfast of mind you will keep in perfect peace because he trusts in you. Perfect peace in the Hebrew is shalom, shalom. It's like, how much more shalom can you get? Shalom, shalom, complete and whole and at peace and at rest. And someone might say, well, isn't Christmas supposed to be about peace on earth and goodwill toward men? And again, I ask, why is it then does so many look forward to the end of the season? And maybe we better revisit the story. So in Luke chapter 1, Verse 26, it begins, Luke 1, 26. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth, to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the descendants of David, and the virgin's name was? Mary. Mary. Okay, you're, you're dialed in. And coming in, he said to her, greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. She was very perplexed at this statement and kept pondering what kind of salutation this was. See, Mary's amazing to me. She's pondering the, sal uh, the salutation, and I'd be going, I'm talking to an angel here. She's trying to put this together and understand. The angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb. You will bear a son, and you shall name him Yeshua, Jesus. He will be great. He will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Mary said to the angel, how can this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you, and for that reason the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. And behold, even your relative Elizabeth has also conceived a son in her old age, and she who was called barren is now in her sixth month, for nothing will be impossible with God. Some of you just need to hear that tonight. Nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, the bond slave of the Lord, may it be done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. What a sweet faith. What a remarkable young girl to receive an angel, process what's been said, and at the end of it all say, as you wish, may it be. But you know, if we're really thinking about Mary, how well do you think she slept that night? 
I mean, do you think she just went right on to bed? Ah, it's all good. Angel said so. I'm fine. No problem. She still had to tell Joseph. I'm sure that was a fun conversation. Um, Joe, you might want to sit down. I'm pregnant. What? No, no, no. It's not what you think. How, what could it be? I'm pregnant, but it's not by some guy. It's, it's, it's by the Lord. Okay, that's not going to fly, Mary. You know, it's funny. The Bible doesn't even tell us that she told Joseph. We just find out that he found out. Doesn't say that she said a word. In fact, immediately after she heard from the angel, the very next verse, verse 39 of Luke 1 says, now at this time Mary arose and went in a hurry to the hill country to a city in Judah. She went to see her cousin Elizabeth. She went in a hurry. She got out of there. I got to figure this out. I don't know what to do. And then in verse 56 of Luke chapter 1, it says, Mary stayed with her about three months and then returned home just in time to be showing. Hmm. After that, she had to bring Joseph into the loop. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18, the story continues. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, which you Bible students know, but betrothal was, it was like engagement and yet more serious. To get unbetrothed required a divorce. So it's further than our sense of engagement, and yet the marriage isn't consummated in the betrothal period. It's only consummated after the marriage takes place. So she's betrothed very seriously. She is connected to this man, Joseph, and before they came together... She was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. Found to be. The word found means discovered. Well, of course she was. She came walking in three months later. What's going on here? This is not because Elizabeth is just a good cook. <laughs> Think about the strain on Mary. I mean, process that for a minute because we can blow right through this story. We can go right to the manger and miss the fact that this young woman had to deal with the fact that she was pregnant, that this was a divine thing, it was a holy thing, but nobody, but nobody would believe her except her cousin Elizabeth because Elizabeth was pregnant too. She comes walking back in to Nazareth and there's Joseph and she is discovered. What was that like for Mary? What was it like for Joseph? Because now Joseph has to make some decisions here. Do I believe her? She's never lied to me before. Do I just accept this as, as truth? But, but how can I? And he had to deal with this. And in verse 19, and Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. But when he had considered this, behold, watch this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. It's all true. She'll bear a son, and you shall call his name Yeshua, Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, that is Isaiah, Chapter 7, verse 14, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. Joseph awoke from his sleep, 
and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took Mary as his wife, but kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son and he called his name Jesus. What a stand up for his gal kind of guy. Wow, I mean, I, I, we don't know much about Joseph, but this was a righteous man who did the right thing. Now, I, I share both those stories because those are both the run-up to the birth of Jesus, Mary finding out and then Joseph finding out. And I don't know if you've ever processed this, but there's uniqueness in those two conversations, in those two revelations. Consider this, Luke tells us Mary had an audience with the angel Gabriel, no less. The same angel who came to Daniel over 500 years earlier. She got to talk with him. Matthew says Joseph got a dream. A, just a dream. Gabriel walks into Mary's house. Joseph has to go to sleep and then wake up and decide, what's up with that? Mary got to ask questions of the angel, Joseph heard a declaration without question. He couldn't ask anything. He was dreaming. He's asleep. Mary was told this son is going to be king. Joseph is told this son is going to be savior. It's not a contradiction because both are true. Both Mary and Joseph were told that the child was of the Holy Spirit, and both were given the same name for the child, Jesus. No doubt when Joseph heard the name Jesus in his dream, having heard the name Jesus from Mary, he put two and two together. He woke up and realized this was legitimate. But why the different approaches? I mean, I put myself in Joseph's shoes. Being a man, I can relate. What would it be like if, if my wife, Cheryl, came to me and said, I'm pregnant by the Holy Spirit? How would I deal with that? And then I have a dream, and I've got to deal with the fact that it was a dream, but she got to have a vision, and that's not fair. I want a vision. I'd love to talk to an angel. Why the difference? Listen, God knows who he's dealing with. One of the things you recognize about God after going through the Bible a little bit is he is incredibly personal. He goes to you and he deals with you the way you need to be dealt with. And he deals with me the way I need to be dealt with. He communicates with us the way we need to receive that communication. He is remarkably sensitive to the human heart. Mary needed confidence. So of course, a visit from an angel would make this a clear event, nothing to fear. This is actual. Joseph, on the other hand, needed faith. He needed to have to believe and to trust God in this. And both Mary and Joseph would need what I think we all need, not just this time of the year, but all the time, and that is peace. We need peace. Peace should have been the most or the least likely result of Mary and Joseph's sudden radical life change. This was not the plan. This was not the trajectory. And when all this began to happen and turn things upside down, peace should not have happened. Anything but peace. But return to the story in Luke chapter 2 tells us in those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census be taken of all the inhabited earth. And this was the first census taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone was on his way to register for the census, each to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, 
because he was of the house and family of David in order to register along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was with child. And we know the backstory now. While they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him in cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds staying out in the fields, keeping their watch over, keeping watch over their flocks by night. Doesn't it seem like crazy comes all at once? Like if one difficult thing is happening that it just gets piled on, they're having to deal with this challenge of this birth and the news of the birth and all the talk that would go around Nazareth. And now on top of this, some megalomaniac says, we need a census. So now we have to plan a family trip. And we get into Bethlehem, having the family trip, having the information of this very crazy life-altering event, and we can't find anywhere to stay. Everything seems to be just going wrong. But as Joseph is getting Mary, Mary settled in, probably to what was a cave, a sheepfold on the outskirts of Bethlehem, something marvelous was happening right above the hills. Something exploded above the shepherds that were out that night. An angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today in the city of David there's been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Literally in the Hebrew, they would have said Yeshua Mashiach, Yahweh. Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, and here's the quote you've heard many times if you've ever watched a Charlie Brown Christmas, <laughs> glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. Peace. The angels said it. Peace. Peace. The angels promised it. Peace on earth. Is there? Do we always have peace on earth? They said peace on earth. Not then. You can look back historically. There was not peace on earth at that time. Not now. Where do we stand? As North Korea arms up and as Iran arms up and we all wonder what's going to happen on the world stage. Do we have peace on earth? Uh-uh, not today. Not then. Not now. Not yet. Peace on earth, they say. But, but, but the angels said it. They said peace. And it reminds me of what my daughter, Anna Marie, used to say. When she first came home, this was about 10 years ago, and we would, we would tell her something, and then the plans would change. Because plans always change, Right? But as a kid, Anna Marie would say, but you said, man, I hear that ringing in my ears. Hey, we're going to watch a movie at 7 o'clock, and at 7.15, we're going to have to push it back to 8 o'clock. But you said, and I think that way with the angels, hey, you, got, you said peace. I, I want to be honest with you, and some of you who know me understand this. This has been the least peaceful year of my life. 2019, bye-bye, can't wait for the new year. I've had enough of the stress, enough of the craziness. Just the, it's just been wild. 
like a swirling, Larissa, around me, just craziness. And I want to look up and call out to all those angels in the heavenly host and say, but you said peace. Where is it? Why does it fall so short of reality? And why does even Christmas tend to lack peace? <laughs> it's like what Charlie Brown said. I know nobody likes me. Why do we have to have a holiday season to emphasize it? And apply that, I, I, I know that there's not peace on earth. Why do we have to have Christmas to prove it? We all read peace on earth, goodwill toward men, and it's like, but we know, we know that from the first century to the 21st century, peace has not been this world's prevailing condition. Peace on earth? Were the angels just wrong? Did, did they miss it? Listen, so important the angels were restating an ancient prophecy. This is what God does. He says it, then he says it again. Then he sends someone to say what he said. Then he says it a fourth time, and he sends someone else to say it, and he keeps saying it over and over and over so that the word will get into the center of the sponge so that we will hear it and finally believe it. He just keeps coming back to it. And this prophecy that the angels speak of peace is the same one that pointed the Magi back to Jerusalem after they, or back to Bethlehem after they had come into Jerusalem. I want you to listen to it. It's in Micah chapter five. Micah chapter five is this prophecy. It's just one verse. But you know me, I can't do just one verse. We gotta look at what, what's, what's going on here. Why does he say what he says? And it's a prophecy of peace in the coming kingdom. Peace on earth that is ultimate, that is the, it's the end game of God. But in chapter four of the book of Micah, the first eight verses, I'll just tell you quickly, it's all about that, the coming kingdom and the peace and how all is gonna be right with the world and how marvelous and wonderful it will be. You get through verse eight and then you land in verse nine and all of a sudden you start to get some bad news. The Lord drops four startling nows. He says, now, why do you cry out so loudly? Is there no king among you or has your counselor perished that agony has gripped you like a woman in childbirth? Get that, he's talking about peace. And then he says, but now, it's like you're in labor. And now, Micah chapter four, verse 10, you will go out of the city, dwell in the field and go to Babylon. And verse 11, now many nations have been assembled against you. And then finally in chapter five of Micah, verse one, it says, now muster yourselves in troops. Daughter of troops, they have laid siege against us. And with a rod, they will smite the judge of Israel on the cheek. The Lord is describing in Micah chapter four in this prophetic statement this was given about 740 B.C., so about 140 years before Babylon would attack Israel. And it's a warning that this was coming, and the Lord is describing this ticking time bomb and an increasingly tense atmosphere in Judah taking all the way down to Jerusalem's devastation by Babylon. The judge of Israel, he says, with a rod they will smite the judge of Israel on the cheek. That's probably Zedekiah, who was the last king in Judah, a vassal king, really, of Babylon, but he rebelled against Babylon, and Zedekiah ended up having his sons murdered before his eyes before the king of Babylon put his eyes out. So the last thing he would see was the murder of his boys. And then he goes blind. 
the judge of Israel. He was a weak king. He was captured, blinded, thrown into captivity. And since then, no son of David has ever sat on the throne in Israel. Not a one. To this very day, in Jerusalem. What are you saying? I'm saying shalom has eluded the Jewish people. The wholeness, the completeness, everything coming together. But in contrast to that weak judge of Israel, that final king, we hear this. Micah chapter 5, verse 2. But as for you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, too little to be among the clans of Judah. From you, one will go forth for me to be ruler in Israel. His goings forth are from long ago, from the days of eternity. You, Bethlehem, Ephrathah. Bethlehem, meaning house of bread. Ephrathah, meaning fruitfulness or fertile field. So the fruitful house of bread. And that whole name is a great description for little Bethlehem. It's not named among the tribes of Judah, but, but Bethlehem, Bethlehem is a beautiful, amazing place because of its heritage, its history. Ruth and Boaz met there and were married. And they had a son named Obed. And Obed had a son named Jesse. And Jesse had a son named David. David was born in Bethlehem. Well, the lineage would continue and ultimately another son would be born of the line of David, one who was, however, from long ago, from days of eternity, born by the Holy Spirit in the womb of a virgin, Jesus Christ. And Revelation twenty-two sixteen 16 says, I, Jesus, am the root and the descendant of David. It's one of my favorite verses in all the Bible. I come before David and I come after him. I'm his root, I'm his descendant. Well, Micah chapter five, verse three says, therefore he will give them up, that is God will give Israel up until the time when she who is in labor has borne a child. And then the remainder of his brethren will return to the sons of Israel. There's so much here, and trust me, I pulled a bunch of stuff out of my notes, but you gotta understand this. From verse two to verse three, from the Bethlehem prophecy, from this ruler who will come forth whose days are from long ago, into verse three, that when she who is in labor has born a child, we have just jumped 2,000 years. That's how prophecy sometimes works. We jump from the first coming of Jesus, which is verse two, to the second coming of Messiah, which is verse three, that Jesus will come back in his second coming after, get this, after she who is in labor has born a child. We might read that and say, well, wait a minute. What do you mean after she who is in labor has born a child? I thought that she who was in labor would be Mary and the child would be Jesus. Oh, no, in this prophecy, she who is in labor is Israel and the child is the nation. Because the prophecy says God will give them up, meaning the Lord will hand Israel over to the nations until Israel becomes a nation again. Isaiah chapter 66, verse eight says, can a land be born in a day? Can a nation be brought forth all at once? As soon as Zion travailed, she also brought forth her sons. And so tonight, we're in the midst of verse three. We're right in the middle. Therefore, he will give them up until the time when she who is in labor has born a child. That is the rebirth of the nation of Israel. And then it says, then the remainder 
of his brethren will return to the sons of Israel. Something marvelous is about to happen. And then verse 4 says, and he will arise, that is, he will stand up and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord and the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. The strength and the majesty and the name of God. He's going to do it all in the name of God. Why? Because he is God. Emmanuel, God with us. He is the Lord. And verse 4 then continues, and they will remain because at that time he, Jesus, will be great to the ends of the earth. And then verse 5, and this one will be our peace. This one will be shalom. For all the cracks and the fissures and the messes in our lives, this one brings it together. It's what Pascal referred to as the God-shaped hole in the heart. You know, there's an emptiness there. You cannot fill it with anything else. As long as you, as long as I chase after the condition of peace, it will continue to elude us because peace is a person. Peace is Jesus. Shalom is the Savior. The completeness that we lack, that we're missing. You will never pull it all together without him. For unto us a child is born and a son will be given to us and the government will rest on his shoulders and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. Peace. So both Micah's prophecy and Isaiah's among so many others are full of hope for a future peace, a peace that Jesus is going to bring, that the Bible promises that God guaranteed this is happening, this will come. What about tonight? What about tonight? For all the you said of the angels, what about right now? I mean, I, I love the idea. I love the hope. That alone brings me some peace, I guess, the hope that it's going to come. But how do I get through tonight? How do I get through tomorrow? What about this week? How do we deal with life as it comes at us right here and right now, back in Bethlehem? Luke chapter 2, verse 14. Glory to God in the highest, they said, and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. Listen, this is a promise of peace to come, but it is also a promise, I believe, of peace tonight. There is peace in these words you see, there's always peace. Get this, there is always peace where God is praised and where God is pleased. Glory to God in the highest, they said. Where God is worshiped, where God is honored and praised, there's peace. But they also say, and this is a really good translation, a little better than what we often hear in the King James, and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. Where God is praised, there's peace. Where God is pleased, there's peace. And I know the reaction to that because I've felt it in my past. Oh, oh, so I got to please him. Okay, I knew there was a catch. I got to please him here. No, no, you don't, only if you love him. See, I have no problem pleasing my wife because I love her. I have no, no problem pleasing my children because I love them, pleasing my family and my friends, doing things for other people. I have no problem pleasing other people because I love them. The only people I have problem pleasing are those who I'm rebelling against. 
But where he's pleased, there is peace. Listen, where, where praising and pleasing come together, peace is born. And that's what was born that night, an opportunity. Yes, peace will come. Jesus is going to bring it, man. He is going to bring peace on earth. As he prayed, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And there will be peace, promised, guaranteed. But right now, if you want peace, let me just suggest something to you. Tonight, praise him and please him. Praise him and please him. And peace will be born. Jesus said, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Talk about a great Christmas gift. I will give you peace right now. Not as the world gives do I give to you. There are no Amazon returns with Jesus. My peace I give to you. Do not let your hearts be troubled, nor let them be fearful. Well, the story ends. When the angels had gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds began to say to one another, let's go straight to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. So they came in a hurry. And they found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby as he lay in the manger. Boy, we love to add a lot of stuff to that. Animals especially. We want to cram the manger full of animals. Donkeys and sheep and cows and little lambs and some chickens running around. And we have a manger scene at home that has an elephant. (laughs) Why not? Camels, bring it on. This was a sheepfold, my friends, on the outskirts of Bethlehem And I want you to get this. I think it's significant. When they arrived, when the shepherds came in, there's Mary, there's Joseph, there's the baby, maybe some sheep, probably not. It would have been pretty peaceful. Not the cacophony. There were no little drummer boys. That just doesn't make any sense to me, Jake. I don't understand that. I'm going to go play my drum for a baby. Maybe we'll talk about that next Christmas, Lord willing. I don't know. But they came in, they saw, they were so amazed. They told Mary and Joseph all about what they had been told about this child. And then verse 18 says, all who heard it wondered at these things, which were told them by the shepherds. I do see the shepherds wandering the streets of Bethlehem going, you're not gonna believe what happened tonight. But Mary treasured all these things, pondering them in her heart, and the shepherds went back. You know what they were doing? Glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen just as had been told them, and I expect that they all knew peace that night. If peace is eluding you, try this. Praise him and please him, and there will be peace. Father, we thank you for your word to us, and I want to just pray for this. For all friends and family gathered here at the bridge tonight, I pray peace. Lord, I want to ask if there's conflict that you will bring peace. If there's stress and struggle, if they're straining to try and make this the perfect holiday, Lord, would you relieve mothers and fathers, brothers and sisters, would you just relieve all of us of the stress that so often comes with it and remind us that you came to bring peace. I pray for shalom to enter every heart tonight. I pray for the sweetness of your presence. And Lord, we ask tonight, we ask simply that you will receive from us worship and praise and that you will be pleased. For our part, we just ask for peace.
In Jesus' name, amen.